Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hey, my name's Flint. I'm on staff here with crew. Um, it's good to be here with y'all. So we're continuing our series and stand firm. Before we get in to 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to pray for us. So join me. Father, I thank you for this time to talk over your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gain wisdom and insight from it. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here in this time. Lord, that you would show us uh, Help us to better understand what Christ uh, looks like. Help us to see how he meets us where we are in the midst of suffering um, and how we can depend upon him in that. Praise all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, we're talking about a very lovely topic today, uh, suffering. (laughs) Not many people want to talk about it. It's not an easy conversation to have, but it's literally all of this chapter, and so the Bible confronts us and says, we have to talk about this. So, when I mentioned that word, suffering, what's the first thing that came to your mind? Pain? Okay. Not fun. What else? Sadness. Yeah. I think, for me, when I first thought of this word, my, my mind likes to go to very extremes. And so I thought of the things that's going on in Ukraine. So I thought of war. Um, I thought of people being killed for their faith. So I thought of persecution. Um, but that's not all that suffering is. Suffering isn't just these extreme situations. It's also ordinary day-to-day things. Like you guys mentioned, sadness, pain, illness, broken families, uh, depression, uh, anxiety. And so, we're going to be looking tonight in 1 Peter 4 and seeing what does the Bible say about suffering? Um, What does it mean for a Christian to experience life here in a broken world? And so, as we look through this chapter, we'll see that when Christians experience suffering, our response should be to glorify God. And so, we're going to break up the, the chapter. We're going through all 19 verses tonight, but we're going to break it up into sections. And so, we'll read first. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. And so it's here on the screen. If you want to turn to it on your phones or in your Bible, it's 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. Yeah, and it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. 
And so for us to understand the rest of this chapter, we need to understand these six verses first. Otherwise, we will misunderstand, misinterpret everything else. And so Peter starts off by reminding his audience of who Christ is and what he has done. But rather than identifying Christ as um, through his ministry or through his miracles, he identifies Christ in verse 1 through his suffering. Can you go back to verse 1? Yes, so since Christ suffered in his body, that's the definition and identity he gives Christ. And this is a callback to what Daniel talked on last week in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 19. And just a summation of those verses um, is, he basically says, Jesus suffered a gruesome punishment, and it was undeserved, but Jesus willingly took it upon himself to bring freedom to those who are enslaved and ensnared to sin. Um, and so Peter is telling his audience that since Christ suffered for them, that they should arm themselves with the same attitude that Christ has. Um, this is not to gain God's favor. This is not to um, do enough good or, or just put on a brave face. This is, literally means to, to equip, to take hold. Um, and so because Christians are in Christ, because we have a, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith, we have the privilege to join him in his suffering. That doesn't sound like a very good privilege, does it? No one wants the privilege to suffer, but it is a privilege. And so what do I mean when I say this? What I'm saying is that when Christians suffer, they're not suffering alone because they know that the God they worship experienced the same hurt, the same pain, the same shortcomings and misgivings that they themselves are experiencing. And that is huge for the God you worship, that he would know how you feel and would be able to resonate with you. What other God does that? Because Christ is there with Christians, because he has experienced the fullness of pain, the fullness of humiliation on the cross, we can know that he knows exactly how we feel. In some capacity, Christ knows what we're going through. Um, and so this privilege to join Christ in his suffering, it changes everything for a Christian. It means that the things that used to get you down no longer have as big an effect on you anymore. It means that you no longer desire to live the way you lived before you were a Christian. So we see that, uh, as it says in verse 2, as a result, they did not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And so this does not mean uh, that they become, when you become a Christian, you become perfect, you become sinless, <laughs> far from it. It just means that the life you used to live no longer satisfies you. It is like ash in your mouth. It just does not taste good. Uh, you can no longer do these things. Uh, and also, we now live to please God. Um, we live for his will. And so we can do this knowing that in the end that everyone will have to give an account to God, the living and the dead, as it says in verse 5 on the next page. Um, and so looking at um, this transformed life, it's not free. It comes with a cost, both to God. God literally died and sent his son to die so that we can have this. But also, it comes with a cost to you because you will experience the same suffering. You will be abused. Um, 
as such. Um, we'll, just to talk about these people and um, what they experienced. I'd love for us to just take, a, take a step back and really like put yourself in their shoes. Just imagine um, you hear this radical information that the God of the universe came down in man and died so that you can have a personal relationship with him. Not because you had to earn his favor, but because he loved you so deeply. Imagine you receive this news and it just radically transforms your life. You have this overwhelming sense of joy, of purpose, of life. And you try and go and share this with your friends. You try and go and share this with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family members. And then rather responding in the way you responded, they respond by heaping abuse on you, by mocking you, calling you foolish, despising you. Because the people who were abusing the people in First Peter's letter, his audience, they, these weren't strangers. These were friends and family members, probably. These were probably people in their towns that knew them very personally and very deeply. Um, and so they no longer want to hang out with you. They no longer want to spend, spend time with you because you, they think you, you think, they think you think that you're too good for them because you're no longer engaging in the same lifestyle you used to. You now live differently. You now are trying to live for God. Um, and so just imagine uh, these, these people who you used to be closest to now just seeing them as strangers. They just don't seem the same to you. Imagine the rejection, the, the hurt, the, the sorrow you would feel. Imagine the loneliness, the isolation. Um, and I know for a lot of you guys in here, um, particularly guys that I'm really close to. I know you all have experienced this, too, that you're not alone in this. Um, I just want you to know that I see you. But more than that, God sees you because he's the one whose sight really matters. Uh, just to also, as Alan said two weeks ago, um, God delights in you. He delights in seeing you live a holy life in the midst of suffering. He delights seeing you stand firm in the midst of a culture that tells you to abandon your principles, to abandon your faith, and, and, and go after what everyone else is. Um, and so this is, this is pretty heavy, I know, right? Um, but there's also hope. There's hope because we know that as Christians that suffering is not the end. We know that in the end, suffering has an end. We know that there is eternal joy and eternal bliss awaiting those who are in Christ. Um, and so we can look forward to that day. We can look forward to the day of, of Christ's return. But yet in the meantime, we as Christians are called to stand firm in the midst of suffering. And so this standing firm, it doesn't mean we become stoic. It doesn't mean we become statues, unfeeling, uncaring about the rest of the world. Rather, it means we are called, as it says in verse 1, to arm ourselves with the same mindset as, as Christ. And then in, if you put up Hebrews 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, the author of Hebrews de defines Christ and describes Christ as this way. He says, Christ is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. That's what it means to arm yourself with the same mindset of Christ, to 
have joy in the midst of persecution. Um, and so this leads us to the next section. You know, we talk about this joy, but then what practically, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to practically respond? And so we'll be continuing reading 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It's not just for show. I'm going to drink some water. So, we'll talk about how we're supposed to respond. But first, let's talk about how the world tells us to respond. There's typically two responses for suffering. You guys have probably heard of this in the science classes. Fight or flight. Yeah? Yeah? So fight, defining it, is to fight back. The same pain that you were experiencing, you do it, you do it to them. The same hurt that you experienced that they caused you, 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 you send even more their way. So that's fighting. And then flighting um, is pretty obvious as well. It means to run away. It could be a physical moving away out of suffering, out of pain, or it could be more nuanced. It can be an emotional running away. It could be depending upon something that's not satisfying you. It could be suppressing your emotions, as in my case. That's what I used to do, was suppress how I felt whenever I felt pain and just, not, just ignore it. And so this is how the world tells us to respond to suffering. We either fight back or we run away. But how does God say that we should respond to suffering? And so the Apostle Peter, he gives his audience a third option. He says, you respond to suffering through dependence on God. And so, as he says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And so prayer, as we already talked about, uh, totally did not plan this, with Bella coming up here and talking about prayer and fasting. But prayer simply just means talking to God. It means it doesn't have to be any fancy words. It's not a specific ritual that you do. Just plain and simple, the way, same way I'm talking to you guys, you talk to God. Um, and what matters most in prayer is not the words you use, but the intentions of your heart. Yes, words are important, but the intentions will guide your words, typically. Um, and so the intentions that Peter tells his audience to have in prayer is love. This is not a superficial, emotion-based love. Emotions are important, but just as you don't let your kids drive your car or throw them in the trunk, you put them in the back seat in regards to uh, the facts. And so the facts of this love is that this love of God is a, a covenantal, committal love. It means that depending, it does not depend upon whether you still feel like you're in love or not. It doesn't depend upon your emotions. It depends upon your commitment. It depends upon your actions, what you've said. You will do, you will do. And so this trusting love, it leads to a covering, as it says, a covering over a multitude of sins. Um, what is Peter saying here? Uh, what he's saying 
is that uh, this, this kind of love, it looks over other shortcomings because it's not dependent upon emotions, but rather commitment. It says, even though you've hurt me in this way, I know that you still love me. Or even though I've fallen short in this way, I know that you're still committed to me. Um, and so Peter says this love should be the center of a Christian's response to suffering uh, because this is what enables them to stay alert and sober-minded so that they may pray. It also enables all the following actions following verse 8 of what a Christian, uh, what Peter calls a Christian to do. And so in particular, in these verses, Peter tells them to do these things for other Christians. Uh, this does not mean that you should not love your enemies. Christ very much says that. This does not mean you should not love your neighbors. Christ very much says that. What I'm saying here is that Peter is saying, love other believers. And so why would he say that? Why would he only stress loving other believers? Because he wants them to, to realize who they can rely upon in their times of suffering. As a believer, you know that you have a deep connection with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know that you can trust them, that they, they are dependable, that they, they love you very deeply, that they're not going to abandon you uh, when they see all your ugliness <laughs> come out. Um, I know in, in my small group that I'm a part of, the guys see a lot of my ugliness, and I see a lot of theirs, and they don't leave me, and I don't leave them. Um, and so that's what Peter is saying here. He's not saying you can't show that love to others, but he's saying in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship and pain, run to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Serve them with the love that you have been received, the love that you received from God. Um, because ultimately, not only with, do we have the privilege of joining in with Christ in our suffering, we also have the privilege to uh, be a part of the body of believers. We're no longer alone in our suffering we're not alone from God. We're not separated from Him when we're in Christ. And we're not separated from one another when we're in Christ as well. And so, um, yeah, it is because of this relationship with Christ that we are actually able to have this deep connection with others. As he says in the end of verse 12, those who serve should serve with the power that God provides. And so just thinking on these verses, um, this, this type of love, it really reminded me of my best friend in college. So there's a picture of, of him. There's, this is me and Jackson during, yeah, I know. <laughs> it was my wedding. So he was the best man in my wedding, and he made me cry, but he was, he was really sweet. And so Jackson was my best friend and still is a very, a very dear friend to me. Um, and so um, I, bring, I bring up Jackson because there was a time in college where uh, Jackson and I had back-to-back -back injuries <laughs> following one another. And so uh, I think it was our junior year, Janu January-ish, uh, Jackson got injured playing an Ultimate Frisbee game because that's what college guys do. They play Ultimate Frisbee. Um, and so he, like, hurt his knee and could not move. Uh, or could not, like, move his knee. It had to be locked in place. And so for two months, I was Jackson's personal chauffeur. Everything he, like... Everywhere he needed to go, I would come pick him up, take him to the grocery store, I'd pick him up from class, ask how his day was, go home, make him some food. Um, kinda, not really, but yes. Uh, I'd, take him, I'd also bring him to crew, because we were both involved with crew in college. And so, uh, Jackson gets better. Immediately after he gets better, I dislocate my ankle, and now Jackson's the one driving me around. He's the one who's taking me 
to the grocery store, picking me up from class, asking how my day was. Uh, and so I bring, I bring up Jackson because I knew that in my hardship, I knew that he was not going to leave me out to dry. I knew that he had my back, that he cared about me, and he sometimes pushed me more than I would have pushed myself if I had just been by myself. And Jackson knew the same from me. He knew that I loved him deeply and that I wanted to serve him. And so in the same way that uh, this relationship I had with Jackson, um, we had that same relationship with the Father, if not more so, uh, that he wants to be with us, that in the midst of our suffering that we can rely upon him, that we can trust him. Um, yeah, because we're, we're not alone. Um, yeah. um, and so it means that when we encounter suffering, that our response should not be like the world because we're not alone in our suffering. So we don't have to fight back or we don't have to f- run away. It means that we can respond in love. And so this love um, that we have, it doesn't mean uh, that we, don't, we go looking out for suffering. It doesn't mean we go, go running for it. But it means that when suffering comes, that we can respond with love, that we can respond with hospitality, and we can respond with service. So that God may be glorified in all things through Christ. And so just as you reflect over your own life, um, maybe this hardship you're currently facing, maybe hardship you've faced in the past, or maybe hardship you'll face in the future, what do you want, how would you want your response to be? Do you want it to be with uh, love and hospitality? Uh, love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing who you can rely upon and, and, and run to in your greatest times of need? Um, or do you want to respond with, with bitterness and resentment? I know for me, a lot of times before I became a Christian, I respond with bitterness. I would cut people out of my life who hurt me. Um, and I would not have anything to do with them anymore. It sounds really harsh, and it was. Um, but now, I no longer do that because I want to engage with people. I want to continue to love people well because I've been loved so well by Christ. Um, and so I think it's also easy for us uh, to respond with these more selfish ways uh, when we see there's no reason for our suffering when we see it just as coincidence or bad luck, it's easy to, to want to lash out or to get, make things fair, right? And so we're going to talk about this final section uh, with Peter giving us the, um, some reasons for why they're experiencing suffering. And so it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so it starts off this this passage in verse 12 with Jesus telling his his audience, hey, do not be surprised when suffering comes. Um, Peter 
here is just relaying the same message that he received from Christ back in John 15 of Jesus saying, hey, they persecuted me. Do not be surprised when suffering and persecution comes your way. Uh, and the reason, uh, we'll talk about the reason for these reasons uh, at the end, but there are three reasons that Peter lists for their persecution. This, this list is not exhaustive. Um, and as everyone knows in the suffering they experience, suffering is very complex. Um, and so it could be a multitude of these reasons. So things don't fit ne- nicely into these categories. But the three that Peter lists is the reason they're experiencing suffering is to be blessed, to be purified, and to commit themselves to their faithful creator by doing good. And so we'll walk through each one of these. And so the first one is to be blessed. And so when suffering comes, Christians can rejoice because they are joining Christ. And so that is a blessing, even though it doesn't feel like a blessing. It is a blessing to suffer um, alongside Christ. Because when you suffer alongside Christ, it shows where your true allegiance lies. It shows where your identity is and who your identity is in, as opposed to suffering for um, sin or suffering uh, as someone who has done some of these things, is like murdered and, and stole and, and done things like this. Um, you're suffering for the name of Christ. And so he lists out a, a lot of these reasons to not suffer, um, not suffering for sin. And I wanted to point out the bottom one, meddler. Because that seems pretty strange. Oh, don't murder, obviously, don't, don't steal, don't become another kind of criminal, yes. And don't meddle. What? <laughs> meddle? What do you mean? Uh, and so a literal translation of this Greek word, it means a meddler could be defined as someone who engages in things alien to their identity. So I'll say it again. That a meddler is someone who engages in things that are alien to their identity. And so Peter's saying, hey, you, Christians, what are you doing? Don't do these things. This is not who you are. You're now sons and daughters of the high king. Don't, don't go around meddling, you know? Stick, stick to the things that are to your identity. Um, don't get distracted or engage in things um, that you used to do in the past because you are no longer defined by your past. You're defined by Christ. That's your new identity. That's who you are. And so he, he commends them and tells them to suffer for bearing the name of Christ, not for sin. So don't, don't go around doing that. And so the second reason he gives is for them to be purified. And so just as gold is purified by fire, so God uses suffering to purify Christians. That might sound contradictory, uh, but I've seen it in my own life how the times when I am experiencing hardship and, and pain, either due to my my own sin, or just due to living in a, in a fallen and broken world, how that has molded me to be more dependent upon Christ, has shown me my need for him, and has made me look more like Christ. Not that I am perfect, not that I have achieved everything at the age of 26, because um, i still got a whole lot of life to go, and I'm still very much broken. But it means that I'm becoming more and more like Christ. And so just as... Uh, Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20, what you intended to harm me, God intended for good. And the background for that is Joseph is saying this to his brothers who sold him into slavery because they didn't like him. So how can Joseph say this? He He can say this because God ends up using that to save all of Israel, to save all of his brothers 
and is his family, which then goes on and brings us to Christ. If, you know, if the Israelites had died out, then the line of, of David would have, would have never happened, and Jesus would not have been able to come to the world through method, the methods that God had set up. And so, um, so yeah, he purifies by fire, so God uses um, suffering to, for good intentions. We can trust him in that. And then the final reason is to commit themselves to their faithful creator by doing good. And so it can literally translate as to commit their souls to their faithful creator in well-doing. Um, and so what it means to commit, it means to, to fully entrust, to fully rely upon something. You, that's why it's called half, you hear like half committals, you know, it's because you're like half trusting. You're, you're half, you know, half saying and half relying upon something. And so we should, he says that we should fully commit our souls, we should fully entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Because ultimately, the only way to stand firm in the midst of suffering is by full, fully relying upon God. Because he's the only thing that will sustain all suffering, all suffering, all hardship. He's the only one that will not leave you nor forsake you. Um, and so, like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. There's lots more reasons that the Bible gives. These are just the three that Peter lists out in his gospel. Uh, not his gospel, his epistle. Um, and so the reason for the reasons is that Peter wants to encourage his new believers that God is in control. Just think, like, how they would have felt receiving this word from uh, one of the fathers of the faith, that, that God, like, loves them, is in control, that he sees them where they're at, um, that they can trust them in that. And so their suffering isn't, isn't unlucky. It's not just bad coincidence. Um, even if it feels that way, it's not. We can, we can know that God is in control. Um, that he has a plan, he can be trusted. It's in the same way as, uh, I'll use my wife as an, as an example. <laughs> I didn't tell her this. But if you know Madison, um, Madison hates shots. Like, really bad. <laughs> like, she climbed out of the window of her school because she didn't want to get a shot as a kid. That bad. <laughs> so, um, and yes, that's true. <laughs> she did that. Uh, and so, in the same, Madison, her parents would take her to get shots, not because they wanted her to be sad, not because they wanted her to, her to hate them or because they had uh, bad ideas in mind, but because they wanted her to be healthy. They wanted her to be cared for. They wanted to protect her from unseen dangers or from future dangers that might happen if she didn't get these regular checkups. Um, and in the same way, that Madison's mom and dad, you know, took her to the doctor for these reasons is the same way that, that our Father in Heaven looks at us. When we're experiencing suffering, we might say, God, this does not make any sense. Like, if I was in control, like, I would not be experiencing this. But God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knows what's good for us. Um, even if we can't see the full extent of what our suffering is bringing um, to us, we can trust him and know that he is good. I mean, you're literally saying, uh, you're a good father, there's a love like no other. Um, I'm less familiar with this song, so I don't have it memorized as the other ones, but he is good. We can trust him in that. Um, we can trust that he, um, he sees us. And so, I'm not going to stand up here and, and claim to know 
if you're experiencing hardship and suffering, why you're experiencing that. Um, I don't. I'm not all-knowing. I wish I did, but I don't. But there's one thing I do know, and that's like God loves you very deeply. He sent his son to die for each and every one of you. That's a really powerful love. The Bible says, no greater love is this than a man who, than one who, than a man who lays down his life for his friend. Um, and so he did that. He, he lived it and he, he did that for you. Um, and so you might be in here and, and not be a Christian. You might not have a personal relationship with Jesus, um, with God through Jesus. Um, and so in the midst of your suffering, you, he could just be bringing you to the end of yourself. I know for me, I became a Christian in college because of this. Not that I experienced deep persecution or, or suffering, but God in college brought me to an end of myself and said, hey, this is what, where your life will go if you do not like, come after me. And I saw where I was going. I didn't want to go there. Um, and so maybe God's doing the same for you. He might be bringing you to an end of yourself, seeing how you need him, how he, he has provided all of your needs in Christ, um, how he cares deeply for you. Um, he's not trying to force you to choose him. He's just trying to show you the end of yourself. Because the reality is, I would know. We are very stubborn <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah, if you know yourself, you can know humans are pretty stubborn sometimes. And sometimes it takes a lot to bring us to the end of ourselves. Um, but maybe you are a Christian in here. Maybe you have a personal relationship with Christ. And so maybe the reason you're experiencing suffering, it could be one of two or more reasons. Um, it could be you're suffering due to your own sin. You're living as a meddler, and you're reaping the consequences of your actions. Um, and so I would encourage you, hey, don't do that. You're no longer a meddler. Live in Christ. Do what he's called you to do. Uh, trust in your faithful father. Commit yourself to him and continue to do good. Or you could be suffering because you're, you're standing firm in Christ in the midst of a world that does not want you to do that in the midst of a culture that says, hey, instead of this whole religion thing, we're kind of past that now, like catch up. Um, maybe that's why you're suffering, is because of that. And if that's the case. Um, again, I'll encourage you that suffering has an end. We read the end of the Bible, we know the outcome, <laughs> that God wins and he restores everything to the way it was before the fall in Eden. And so we can trust him in that. And so to summarize this entire chapter, Long-winded way of saying, when Christians experience suffering, our response should be to glorify God. It should be to make God look great. Uh, because all, of God that, all that God has done for us, we know that we can trust him. Even in the midst of suffering, even when we can't see um, a reason for it or see the end goal of it, we can trust that he is good, that he loves us and cares about us deeply. Um, and we can arm, our, arm ourselves with the same mindset of Christ who went to the cross due to the joy set before him. We can respond to suffering with love because of the love God has shown us through Christ and other brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, we also know that there's a reason for our suffering. Even if we can't fully understand it, we can trust and know that God is good and he loves us and he's in control. Um, and so I'm going to end with uh, the reading of the famous hymn. My, my wife and I sang it this past Sunday on Easter. But um, it was originally, fun fact, I didn't, I didn't know this until Sunday, it was originally written as a poem, and so this is actually 
how was, how was first written. Um, so it says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged, but take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness, so take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time, being able to talk about uh, uh, your word, to being able to uh, talk about a subject that's really hard to talk about, Lord, that we do not desire to, to face sometimes. I know for me specifically, I, whenever I encounter suffering, I always try to run away. Um, but Lord, you've given us a, a new way. You've given us a way not to, to fight uh, with the same uh, pain we've experienced. You've given us a new way of not having to run away and, and try to protect ourselves, but giving us a way where we can trust you and um, depend upon you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to use us guide us and lead us, mold us and shape us to be better image bearers and sons and daughters of you. We love you. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus.